Micah 6, 9 through 7, 6. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth and there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Today, Minister Jeff Huang will be preaching on the topic of can he forget the treasury of wickedness? Let's hear what the Lord has to share through Minister Jeff. Good morning, Crossbridge brothers and sisters. To be honest, this morning I'm not even sure where to or how to begin. In part, I'm at a loss for words even as thoughts flood my mind. Because by, by now you've seen or heard of what happened at the U.S. Capitol last week. The chaos, the riots, and a whole number of other terms that have been used to describe what happened. It's the stuff that you expect you're supposed to see in movies, not in media, our media. Now, 2020 was a hard year, and I remember just uh, over a week ago, people were, were posting about starting off new with 2021. And now this is how our year starts. I've been reflecting on the timeliness of our sermon series through Micah. If you remember, it was actually an accident, a, a typo, but increasingly it seems like God's providence at work. The thing about timely sermons is that, well, it, it, it's readily apparent that God has a word for us. And all the more as we preach through a book of the Bible. These passages and dates were determined months ago. 
before any of this happened, but God knew. And with timely messages, it's not that hard for preachers to figure out how the Bible speaks to us today. At the same time, timely messages also tend to mean untimely events, like what we saw happen a few days ago. And I'm sure that the whole gamut of human emotion is being felt throughout our nation. Some are indifferent, numb, unvexed, not surprised at all at what they saw, but but many more are also angry and frustrated, even embarrassed. And, And I've seen a lot of these emotions take place in social media posts, online where people are commenting to each other, maybe even some calling each other out. And I feel like it's at times like these, overwhelmed by emotions, for some of us at a loss for words, that we as Christians especially need to come before God. Now, some of us did last night. Now, this is pre-recorded, so I, last night is actually tonight for me. But I, I reckon that it, it's going to be, or was, a necessary and, and beneficial time of corporate prayer for our nation. In our passage today, Micah, in some part, is also at a loss uh, for words, figuratively speaking, because he's prophesying, but he's contemplating the situation of the society around him. Wickedness abounds and, and runs rampant, and God now is coming and he's saying he is going to discipline and desolate his people for their wickedness. And what we're going to see today is Micah's response to that. Even though Micah himself is a prophet, I assume he's godly, he looks around and he sees wickedness everywhere. And so he laments to God. Some of you joined us for the Night of Lament for Racial Justice uh, back in June of last year. Now this morning, God is going to speak to us through Micah as he leads us back to this lost art of lament. Lamenting not necessarily only for our own situations, but over the, the wickedness around us. We will see that wickedness is something to woe about. Wickedness is something to woe about. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, take them out and and follow along with me as we turn to Micah chapter 6 and work our way through this passage and part of the next chapter. Our passage begins with this main point. God will not forget any longer the treasures of wickedness. This is uh, straight from verse 10. God will not tolerate the wickedness of his people. And as Micah prophesies and delivers God's word to Israel, this means at least two things from these verses. First, wickedness does not go unseen by God. Verses 9 to 12, The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? and the scant measure that is accursed. Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Remember two weeks ago when Minister Kola preached on the beginning of Micah 6? There we saw that God established that he was good. God said to them, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? 
I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I've redeemed you from the house of slavery. God is good. In verse 8, right before our passage, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, clearly, it's, we've been working our way through Micah. It's pretty obvious that they failed in that. They disobeyed. They were uh, doing all sorts of injustices. And so now the voice of the Lord cries to everyone. You have failed this city. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? Now, the translation is a little bit difficult. It, it doesn't mean that God forgets that there's wickedness going on in the same way that we forget where we put our car keys. It, it wouldn't make sense for God to say, uh, can I forget any longer, as if he was choosing then and there to stop having no memory of it. But if we continue a little bit further, verse 11 in, in parallel might help us to understand. Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Obviously the answer is no. God is saying that he will not tolerate the wickedness any longer. Wickedness does not go unseen by God. And he is bringing this charge, this indictment throughout the book of Micah against his people. He has told them what is good, and they have chosen what is wicked. And the wickedness that, that God sees and that is presented in this passage is one where the, some of the rich, the powerful, these leaders, are, are preying on the trust of their neighbors, using wicked scales and deceitful weights. They are dichotomizing doing what's right and doing what's good for business, as if they were two separate things. And so they seek profit, but at the expense of people. Remember that Micah is speaking to the people of God at a time of financial and economic prosperity. Life is good for a lot of them, but it turns out that part of that prosperity was rooted in wickedness, acquired at the expense of others. God sees this wickedness and calls them out on it, because if God overlooked it, it would make him complicit. And so this passage continues with this, therefore, if wickedness does not go unseen, it will not go unpunished. So this is the second thing we see from, the, from verses 9 to 16. Wickedness does not go unpunished by God. Verses 13 to 16, Micah continues, therefore I strike you, with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. So the punishment here is desolation, emptiness, utter ruin, the, the complete lack of satisfaction. They will never have enough because of your profit-seeking greed, God says, you will eat 
but you won't be satisfied. You will save, but you won't really save up. And what you do say will be taken from you. This punishment reminds me of the Pythagoras cup. I think it's also been called the greedy cup or the cup of justice. Now, Pythagoras was a Greek philosopher who created this cup, and now people would take this cup and, and fill it with wine to drink. And that's all fine and good, but the thing was that if you were too greedy and you filled it up too much, all of a sudden it would start emptying from the bottom until it was completely empty. And the one who was greedy gets nothing. Likewise, in Micah, God's people in their wickedness have preyed on the trust of others and deceived others for selfish gain. God says, you shall eat, but not be satisfied. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. I will make you a desolation, like the cup because of their wickedness. What they have will be emptied out until they are utterly desolate, utterly in ruin, with nothing left. And the reason is verse 16. For you have kept the statutes of Omri in all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels. Omri and Ahab were wicked northern kings. And the people in the southern kingdom, Judah, they've replaced the wonderful counselor with the counsel of wicked northern kings. Wickedness does not go unseen by God, and neither does it go unpunished by God. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but ultimately. And wickedness is still present today. Sin in, in all of its different forms is still both subtly and noticeably pervasive in our world and society. So one commentator put it this way, No mention is made of statues, but of statutes. None of worship, but of works. None of cults, but of councils. For these things which characterize modern city life, as much as Micah's city life, the Lord guarantees judgment. What does that look like? Micah is talking about wickedness and injustice, but as it pertains to a sort of prophet seeking power for personal selfish gain. This is probably the most direct application, given Micah's intent as the author. Now, for many of us, we, we actually don't deal with wicked scales and deceitful weights. But our lives and our outlook may still be driven by profit at the expense of people. Remember that this is a time of prosperity for Israel. It is when they're in abundance that Micah calls out their wickedness. And it's a wake-up call for us as individuals, as, as a church, as a nation, for what we do with our money, particularly when there's profit, when there's a surplus, when there's abundance. And, and so, yeah, that's why I'm grateful for our church leaders, our own deacons, shout out to them, who felt convicted by our sur sur church surplus that we had this past year and how we should use it to support our missionaries and partners who don't have as much. Because on the other hand, uh, on the one hand, we, we might want to focus on whether our surplus is enough. 
But our missionaries and partners are asking whether their budget is enough. Now, Micah gives specific examples of this wickedness in this chapter. But we also know from the rest of the book that we've been working our way through that there's many other examples of wickedness that surround him, just, just like today. How are we to respond when we witness the storming of the capital? How are we to respond when we see injustices of all kinds, especially those against the widow, the orphan, the, the foreigner, and the poor? Well, in, in many different ways. But our passage today highlights for us one particular way. Lament. Because wickedness is something to woe about. Michael woes about two things. He woes about, he laments the decadence of his society. And he, he begins chapter 7 exclaiming, crying out, Woe is me, what misery is mine. Now, unfortunately, we sometimes read that to mean you know, Micah is throwing himself a, a pity party. Woe is me. You know, no one loves me. My, my life is horrible, even though it's, it's really not. What is lament, though? Because it's not that. I like how one author put it. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's not theological dissertations or superficial speech. It is grieving from the depths of your heart over dire circumstances. And lament moves us to talk to God directly about our struggles and to lead us to trust in Him. And at times, lament is a participation in the pain of others. Micah is lamenting the lack of godliness around him that is affecting his people. And by lamenting, he is participating in that pain, in the pain of those people. A lament uh, typically has four parts. First, we, we turn to the Lord in prayer. Second, we bring our complaints to him, our, our questions, our fears, our frustrations, our struggles, our doubts. And then third, we ask boldly for God to act in accordance with his promises and his character. And then lastly, we choose to trust in God. Turn, complain, ask, trust. This is what we do in lament. Now, I should probably point out that Complaining and lament is not the same thing as simply complaining. The Israelites complained, and they grumbled, and it got them 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't trust that God would deliver them from their enemies. And so one author makes this well-worded uh, distinction. A complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character, but a lament is an appeal to God based on Confident, confidence in his character. So yeah, we, we turn to God and we complain to God, but ultimately it also leads us to ask God and to trust in his character and his promises. Now if we were to continue reading Micah and his lament, he places his trust in God. Verse 7, But 
As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He chooses to look, to wait, and trust that God will hear. So, what is it that Micah laments? The, the godly has perished from the earth. The, those in power, the, the prince and the judge, they're doing evil and they're doing it well. And so Micah laments because of the decadence around him. He says that even the best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them like a thorn hedge. During the beginning of the pandemic, everything was out of stock, if you remember. I remember trying to order groceries one time through one of those delivery apps, and almost everything I wanted was out of stock. I kept having to, to text the guy back and forth. He would ask, do you want this substitute or, or that substitute? And I would say, no, it's not the same. And you all know that good toilet paper was gone too. If you can even find any, it was the, that horrible one-ply sandpaper. It kind of reminds me of this passage. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The least wicked of the wicked are still a sandpaper-like one-ply toilet paper. And this is the situation that Michael laments over. And it is worth lamenting over. Micah also laments over the disintegration of relationships. So verse 4 continues, The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. If you remember some of the history that we've brought up throughout these different sermons, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was coming as God's tool of judgment. And he would lay siege to Jerusalem. And then what would happen? Disintegration the consequence of their disobedience, societal and familial relationships that are upended and reversed and turned upside down, put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend, the son treats his father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother. This is the situation that Micah laments over, and it is worth lamenting over. What about us, though? What would cause you and I to lament? What, what would you have to lose to feel utterly lost? Sometimes those are valid, deeply personal things like the loss of a loved one or the disintegration of our own family. Other times, though, there are other things that, that show themselves to have an idolatrous grip on our hearts when we lose them. Now, here in our passage, Micah points us to actually something beyond ourselves. And yet still, Micah makes it personal. Would we say, woe is me, when we think about our world and the wickedness in it? Does it break our hearts when we see the brokenness outside the walls of our home or our church? How does it make us feel? Now, I admit that that question, how does it make you feel, is a hard question to ask for some of us. For me, even. I'm not the most emotionally expressive person. I, I figured if I'm going to cry for any of the sermons I've preached thus far here, this, this is probably a good one. 
But as we've been cooped up in our homes for months now, it's easy for us to be desensitized to everything we've just been reading in the news as we remain disconnected from other, others apart from a screen, this screen. And so maybe it is hard for us to pinpoint what we're feeling, what we've been feeling. Maybe we do need to set aside time to contemplate that. Maybe we need one of those feeling wheels to help us articulate what's actually going on in our own hearts and minds. To put a word to it, are we frightened? Are, are we overwhelmed? Are we disappointed? Or instead, are we empty and, or dismissive or, or withdrawn? Another author said this, we too must learn to meaningfully and honestly express the anguish of our hearts if we are to avoid superficiality or pretense. The Bible deals with real life. Christianity does not ignore the wounds of the world. It draws near to them. It acknowledges suffering and pain. Wickedness is something to woe about. And so I want to end this morning with two things. First, for many of us, our lives have become blurred lines between work, play, and family. And while many of us may have started this quarantine excited about the extra time we have for devotions and God, maybe things look a little different 10 months later. And so I would ask you to you know, put a pause on what other things you might be doing even right now. Folding laundry or checking Instagram or email or trying to get a head start on prepping lunch for the kids. And let's take 60 seconds just to think over and feel concerning the wickedness in our world. And then afterwards, I will end by leading us in a guided lament based on Psalm 10. And this was written by those at the Gospel Coalition. And together we will turn, complain, ask, and trust. Because wickedness is something to woe about. Let's pray. We turn to you now, Lord. As the psalmist cries out, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? 
because in the midst of suffering and sin and weakness, it can often feel like you are distant, far off. But we turn to you now, Lord. And together we complain and lament the wicked actions in our world. The psalmist cries out, In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. The wicked sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. Together we lament the wicked words in our world. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Together we lament the wicked thoughts in our world. In the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Together we lament the suffering of the poor and vulnerable in our world. Together, or the wicked, he sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. And so we ask and cry to you, God, together for help. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. And lastly, together we trust in your character, God. In our helplessness, you are a sure refuge. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Amen.